Hello and welcome to the Case Conley podcast. This episode, a little bit of a special episode, we're going to have our first guest, talk a little bit of football, we'll talk about a little bit about the Super Bowl preview, I'll give you a couple angles that I like from a betting perspective, kind of who I think has some positive lines, things like that. But without further ado, we'll start with our first guest. He is a college football player at Central Michigan University. I know him very well. He is my brother. It is Cade Conley. Cade, how are you doing? Great. Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm just chilling, man. Um, so what are you doing right now? A lot of people have no idea how college sports work. I know that from experience. So really, like, what is your daily routine now? Not yet spring ball, but you're in the winter. What, what are you doing? Uh, right now, it's really just this workout condition. It's literally my my life so far every day, except our off days, is just wake up early in the morning, go get a lift in, get conditioning done, go to class, come back, get a football workout in, whether that's running routes, blocking, getting on the jugs, whatever that is, watching film. And, you know, it's it's a very boring, boring time right now, but at the same time, it's one of the times that it makes or breaks a football team. And this this time you really get to see who who wants to be here and who doesn't want to be here and who loves football. So how much um when we kind of look at like the turnover of a roster, especially in college sports, there's so much turnover. Do you notice that? Did you think it was more or less in terms of like guys who just leave and transfer or just stop playing in general? Uh yeah. I mean, there's definitely like this year there's you, you see it a lot more some years than other years. And this year was one of the years that I saw it a little bit more, but that's because of coaching changes, obviously. That's because of people, you know, obviously seeing a lot of other guys, you know, you see Devonnie Reed going to South Carolina, at Central, you see Troy Brown going, obviously, to Ole Miss. You see all these guys transferring out, and, and a lot of guys are, you know, are good enough to do that. So they take the opportunity that's given to them, and they go make it happen. But a lot of it, I think, is is because it's people don't like being in the same place almost. Like, like it's they want to be somewhere else. They want to be doing other things. You know, the ultimate goal is to end up in the NFL. So it's just people who think, you know, this place might be better. This place might not prepare me as well as this other place. So really, it's just a lot of people who keep it that end goal of getting the NFL in mind. And they think their best chance of doing that is just entering the transfer portal. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, kind of piggybacking on, you notice coaching changes. How do coaching changes really affect you guys as a players? Like, how does that? Um, it, can be, I, honestly, it can be like changing people yeah. change positions all the time, especially in football where it, there's so much mobility and players yeah. and coaches. Like, how does that really affect you? Honestly, it's 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 crazy because, you know, especially this year, we had Coach Barber last year, won a Sun Bowl. We were feeling really good about our offense, and then we got Coach Pino coming. You know, we got a new OC who has a different philosophy almost as him. He wants to play the game differently. So it's really, you just got to mold it and adapt your mind that, you know, you have a new coach coming, you got to adapt to him as well as that new coach has to adapt to you. And, you know, you see all these people, 
you know, changing positions, changing everything. I don't think that's as difficult as getting a new coach because once you get a new coach, their their coaching their their coaching styles could be completely different. Their ideology about you know whatever your technique is, whether getting off the line, whatever it is, they could be talking about the same thing you are, but just saying it differently. So there's almost a type that you have to almost get used to it for a couple of weeks before it. Even now, you know, I still hear that there's some people that say different terms. I'm like, what are you saying? And then they describe it. I'm like, oh, well, that's just that, you know? So obviously it gets, a, it takes a lot of time to do it. But, you know, when you have people that are committed and that want to be here and want to do it, it makes it a lot smoother. Yeah, we talk about that kind of, I think one guy in particular in the NFL is Baker Mayfield. And he has gotten slaughtered. But when you look at him in Cleveland, he had four different coaches in four different years, four different offense coordinator. I mean, that type of movement is crazy. And now if you think about that from a college level to an NFL level, terminology, the offensive strategy, everything is completely different. Right. And that's yeah. that's one thing, especially with a guy like Baker now, hopefully he'll find somewhere with stability. But I think that is a big thing. And a lot of people talk about is just, especially in football more than any other sport, when your coach is not there and cannot really build that program and build that formation, build that offensive techniques, all those things. And then not only that, but also be able to bring in the recruits that they want to run their scheme. It can be very tough. Yeah. I think Baker's a good example of that, but we see it a lot in college. I think we see it a lot with <clears throat> honestly any sport, but especially in football, if that coach does not kind of meet that scheme, a lot of players kind of get find their way out. I think that's what's made the transfer portal a lot more easier to enter. Have you Definitely seen you kind of sure. that, especially with your kind of offensive coordinator changes and things like that? For sure. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, taking Baker, Baker Mayfield, for example. And I think that's just the, the joy of college football. Like you see it right now, like Cade McNamara. Cade McNamara is going to play at Iowa. You look at Iowa's play style, they're more slow paced. They're pretty, you know, they just want to run the ball down your throat. And then you look at where he was at Michigan and, you know, they want to do the same thing, except I, I see their wideouts are, they got a lot of big, big time wideouts that they throw the ball down the field. And, you know, Iowa might do that every now and then, but Caden McNamara is really just me hitting the ball. And, you know, you, you talk about Baker Mayfield. And the one thing that struck me and, and is really similar to college, how college football is Baker was like, I don't even know what the locker was. And that's really how it is in college because, you know, as a college player and an offensive player, you know, you get into certain situations in games where you know your offensive coordinator and you know him so well that he's like, he's about to call this play or he's about to do that. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, getting new offensive coordinators, getting new coaches, they don't have that same type of chemistry almost. And so they get flustered a little bit. And then that's when they start making their mental mistakes. That's when they start second guessing. And that's when they're like, well, I got to go to the portal. I got to do something different, obviously. So I think that's what we're seeing. Obviously, just that shifting, that movement with, yeah. you know, a lot of big-time players going to the portal. Like you see you see Colorado doing this. A lot of the Colorado recruits that they're going to get are were already in college. Now they got a mold to Deion, you know, Deion Sanders. They got yeah. a mold to how he's going to coach a team. They got a mold to how you go walk into class. A lot of these guys are a class, that, you know, Deion's way. There's no slouching. You're not going to be doing this, this, and that. No, this is all new to them. So it's almost that they got to build that chemistry, and that's why the offseason is so pivotal. And that's why one thing I do think Colorado is lacking right now is with all these great players that they're going to draw, and they don't have this offseason where they can really bond and get that chemistry built together. And that's the biggest issue that I see with Colorado coming in. 
Yeah, and I think that was a massive concern. I remember last year with USC, and I was a huge USC fan because I, I thought they were going to be able to figure it out, and, and they, they kind of did, but we did see kind of in some of those big games. You look at the Tulane game they lost, the Utah game, and Utah they lost. I mean, they lost Utah both times. That chemistry, sometimes it, it takes that extra, I know my guy. I know what he's going to do. I mean, you see that. So when you look at Utah, I mean, Dalton Kincaid, great tight end. He's been playing with Rising for, what, two, three years? They they are bread and butter with each other. And you see that with some of these programs, like the Utahs, who find their way to success. Even exactly, like yeah. Ohio State. C.J. Stroud's been mm-hmm. throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of a, a key thing. And I think that's going to be big for Colorado, especially with how tough their schedule is, how tough the Big 12 is, or Pac-12. That's going to be really interesting to see. But, you know a lot of people don't like the transfer portal. I think of it differently. I think especially from an athlete's perspective, the transfer portal is crucial to athletes. It, it gives athletes a chance to find that new location. And before it was, you have to sit out a year, no matter what. But now with all these exceptions and grad transfer opportunities, I think it's really helped the freedom of the athlete where they're not locked into a certain place. And people try to call it like the pros, it's free agency. I mean, it kind of is, but it's also better for that student athlete. Where I think you see you guys got from this university to this university, but it's just a better fit. And especially you, a lot of people mm-hmm. notice, I'm sure you notice that uh, when people come in, their freshman yeah. year, it's completely different than they think. It and really that can is. help and them to transfer. Like, is that kind of what you've seen too? Honestly, and you know, I like to compare it to the NBA. And and the one thing that I think about is you look at, you know, you look at the seven, 73 and nine Warriors or whatever the record was when Katie went, or that might have been before Katie, but even then, they got all these great players coming in and, and people are like, oh, they're building a super team. They're building a super team. You know what? That's the point of sports. You build all these great teams because without that team, we never would have gotten to see LeBron come back from a day one lead. We, we never would yeah. see these great moments in sports if these people aren't leaving to go to new different environments. And I think you're going to see that now with Kyrie going to the Mavs. You're going to see that with so many things. And now you look at college football, you're going to see that with Colorado. Because there's a lot of people that say, oh, Colorado is not going to be good. But people have to remember, they are getting great players. Like they have, yeah. they're going to get great players. And the Pac 12 right now is not very strong in general. So, you, you know, you might say they, they don't have good players, but at the end of the day, those players are going to make plays no matter yeah. where they are. And with being with Dion and being at Colorado and being, you know, they're like Travis Hunter, Travis Hunter is going to make plays no matter what. Yeah. I mean, he can be at Alabama, he can be at Jackson State. It doesn't matter where he is, he's going to make plays. And so, there's all there's just this this almost rewind effect that like people are like oh I hate the ball but then a couple months from now they're like oh I love this team with this player that they got from the portal but it's like you just said you hated the portal you yeah. never would have gotten that effect so it's really you get to see these these just like mismatched things that people think that they hate but then they see them in action they're like wow imagine I couldn't imagine if that pair or that duo wasn't together yeah and a lot of uh, traditionalists I see kind of are like, oh, the portal are for these spoiled kids who don't want to wait there and grind. And back in 72, this guy was bottom of the depth chart and worked his way all the way up. And I think there's differences, though. There's a difference in transferring because it's not a fit and transferring because you're not playing or for a different reason. So oh, I think that's, for sure. that, that's another thing that I think is really confused upon is it's it, not all these guys are leaving because they're not going to play. Sure, some of them are, yeah, but some of them just don't like the location, want to go home, right. don't like the coaches as much as they want. I think that's kind of one thing that not a lot of people say. And I know with how different college football is, obviously, with 
college football playoff expansion. You have Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, USC, UCLA joining the Big Ten. And a lot of people are saying it's ruining college football. It is, but it's not because now we're getting to see the best teams play all the time. But the one concern I do have is for some of these smaller schools like Central Michigan. And the last thing I want to see, and we've seen it in some conferences where the non-conference games have been cut from four games to three. Some even are starting to even have two games. It it misses those opportunities where you get to see the Central Michigans against Michigan State. You get to see those type of matchups. And I think it's really disappointing. And I hope that they still, with this realignment, that they still keep that in general. Because I think it's just great experiences for you guys. And a lot of times we see, like when we saw Penn State Central Michigan earlier this year, and I went to Beaver Stadium and saw that, you guys played with them. They were just as good for a half of football. And a couple right. plays didn't go yeah. your way. Some bounces kind of caused some game. But these teams are not as far away as you think, as you see, kind of the scoreboards indicate. And I hope that we still get to see those matchups because I'm sure it's just as special to you guys to play in those big stadiums as anything else, right? I mean, it is. And, you know, I, I go back to the Penn State game. Like, the Penn State game, that was just mind-blowing for me. And, and there's almost a level where, you know, I'm on the field. You you know, everything's happening. And I got to block, you know, one of the best DNs in the Big Ten, whatever it is. But, you know, after that first initial shock, it's it's literally just football. And, you know, it's there's not – people think there's a, there's a major skill gap and they see these scores and it's 66 to 7 and all this. But – there's not that big, like these players are great, but it's not really that big of a skill gap. Obviously, if it's like some random team against Alabama, they, they got all five stars. But you look at these teams and like I, I think about this Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. We lost by 14 points at Oklahoma State, first yeah. game of the year. And you know, you see all these people and they're like, oh, you know, they're not going to do it. And I think that's where wh- wh- nobody saw US or uh, UCF when where they came from a couple years ago. Yeah. Nobody saw Cincinnati coming off of where they did. And I think that's the thing that I love about the, the playoff expansion now is that there's going to be a lot more Cinderella teams like this. And there's going to be a lot of teams that people realize that are really good football teams. And, yeah, my, you know, yeah, my favorite go, part of the expansion was the fact that now a group of five team gets in the playoff. High strength group of five mm-hmm. team. And I, I mean, you, you said UCF. You had Tulane this year. We've had Western Michigan. Right. there have been some very good group of five teams. And mm-hmm. I think that they're going to give some of these bigger schools a, a big challenge. And I, I think that's something really, especially for some of the smaller schools where, you know, you used to not even have a chance. You guys could have gone 12 and 0 and you still wouldn't have made the playoff. But mm-hmm. now you guys have that big goal. And now when, right. when some of these small schools, <clears throat> Coastal Carolina, some of those, when they have the opportunity now to actually build a big program, they have something to look forward to. And I think that's also another big thing. And we saw like Tulane beat USC this year. The upsets happen all the time. Mm-hmm, they do. And I, I think you see it as well in college basketball. I mean, you see college basketball in the 64 yeah. team at the end of the and you see all these Cinderella runs. And people, people think that's only basketball. That could be so much more. It could be in football. Like, people don't really understand that a lot of these teams, like, you look, you look we won the Sun Bowl against a Pac 12 team. Nobody, yeah. nobody ever thought we would we would have done that. People saw us coming in. We had our two NFL tackles weren't playing. You know, we didn't have our, our a lot of our starting defensive guys. But you know, we it's it, at the end of the day, it's football, and that's yeah. what people I think seem to forget that at the end of the day, it's about who really wants to be there and who. Re- it could be a cold, freezing game. It's uh, it doesn't come down to the skill. It comes down to who wants to be there. 
And, you know, a lot of people, I have heard this a lot in bowl games, is, you know, bowl games aren't won by by the better team. They're not won by the team. It's the team that wants to play after Christmas. It's a team that wants to be there after not seeing their family on Christmas and the team that wants to do that. I mean, you look at us in the Sun Bowl, we were in Arizona thinking that we we're game prep for weeks for Boise State. We got a call. Boise State's not in. We got to drive four four hours to to uh, the Sun Bowl. And, you know, it almost felt like when we were on the sideline, not one person didn't want to be there. And, you know, even for me, I didn't play a snap in that game. Wasn't probably even going to ever get a snap in that game. But I wanted to be there. And I wanted – it was almost that that want. And, you know, Washington State, they had a couple of players that had that want. But I just didn't feel like they wanted it as bad as we – I mean, we're on the sideline. It's a rainy. It's a cold game. Our sideline's getting up. We get a big fourth down stop. Our, we're on the field trying to get us to back up. And you just never saw that from Washington State. And that's the thing is the difference. And a lot of these football teams, a lot of these group of five teams, a lot of these group of five teams are just really good. And a lot of these group of five teams can beat those teams. And at the end of the day, it just comes out of who wants to have it more. Yeah, I, I love watching those. Those are some of my favorite bowl games is the nine and three smaller schools play against the six and six, seven and five bigger schools. I know a lot of people are like, oh, they don't want to be there. The last thing they want to do is be in New Mexico. It's still a football game, though. And that's where it does it does mean a lot to an Eastern Michigan team who goes seven and five. And winning those bowl games are important. So kind of along that topic, what is your opinion on players that sit out of bowl games? Mm. And, I mean, even um, we've seen Jackson Smith and Jigba even set out of college football playoff games. What's kind of your opinion now kind of on that? I mean, I don't, I don't blame anybody from doing anything. And I think other day it's their decision. If they want to do that, it's fine. But – at the end of the day, I see it as I'm a football player. Why wouldn't I want to play football? Yeah. And it's one of those things. It's like, you you don't like a lot. I remember we said this in one of our meetings. It's, oh, yeah, I get to do this. No, you get to do this. And and that's the biggest thing. I'm like, as a football player, as a competitive guy myself, why would I not want to go play on one of the biggest stages to prove who I am to people? And, you know, Jack, you, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a perfect example. Everybody knows Jackson Smith and Jigba is this. Last year, the Rose Bowl, crazy. Like, he would, you know, we know who yeah. Jackson Smith and Jigba is. We know who that is. But I saw it as if I'm a competitor and I'm a football player and I want to, you know, I, I just see it as why wouldn't I want to go play football? Why wouldn't I want to go to Pasadena in front of 80,000 millions more watching at home in the warm weather? with the guys that I, I bled and, and had my blood, sweat, and tears coming into this just to get to this point, why wouldn't I want to finish it on winning a Rose Bowl? Why, would I, why wouldn't I want to finish it on doing it? Because we know Jackson and He's a for-sure lock pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. We know he is. But at the end of the day, it's like you worked so hard in the offseason. You worked in, in, in fall camp. You worked in the season so hard. Why wouldn't you want to cap it off? Why wouldn't you want to be a competitor and just go win? Yeah, and, and you kind of said that. I, I see it as. Yeah, and you, and you said play the best, and that, and that was the thing that kind of surprised me. But Jackson's been the Jigba. I think his situation is a little different, obviously, since he was dealing with that that hamstring injury for a, right. for a while obviously, and yes. in that game. But even the opportunity where you you get to play Georgia, you get to play the best defense ever last year. Oh, and and, and some and, of these know, elite defensive back. As a competitor, you you want to be in those games. You want to really see right. where you're at, and especially as a and guy who. Is supposedly the best receiver in college football, maybe a top three pick in the NFL draft. 
it was interesting because we kind of want to see that. We want to see that matchup. And and I think that it comes out of pride because yeah. a lot of people going into this game, you know, they may talk, they're like, oh, this guy's going to lock Jackson and Jigba down. Or, oh, Jackson and Jigba isn't playing. Oh, then Ohio State's going to do it. And at the end of the day, as a pride, as a competitor, I just hate people saying that. And I love proving people wrong. And, you know, you think you would see that with a lot of these guys that are opting out that, you know, you obviously – you got to wait your future, big future ahead of you. I do that. But there's a certain point within me as just as just a player and, and a football player and a competitor that I hate. I just love going to a stadium when people think that I'm going to, you know, not do what I'm supposed to do. I love that feeling. And that's a feeling that I think a lot of these guys are just missing. And, and you know, they look at their and, – and I think a lot of it, a part of it is like Jackson and Javavi, that's a different story. He's got his hamstring. But a lot of these guys, they got people in there talking, oh, you need to sit out. You got a huge future. What's the point of playing one game? What's all? But I know somewhere inside them, they're just like, I, I just want to go play football. Yeah. So we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about tight ends. We'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. And we'll talk a little bit about who we think are going to win. We'll be right back on the Case Conley Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Case Conley Podcast. I'm with Cade Conley, tight end at Central Michigan. And let's talk a little bit about the tight end position because that is one of the positions that in football has changed so much in the last 50 years from wing tees to five wide receivers to all these different things. And tight ends are really that mismatch position. We're expected to do a lot of things. And we always have the conversation about who the best tight end in the NFL is. And Travis Kelsey has been elite, obviously, as a pass catcher. But, you know, you take a guys like George Kittle and guys like Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, who are better blockers maybe than the Darren Wallers or the Kyle Pitts or the Travis Kelsey. So kind of when, when you look at the tight end position, what, what do you think it means? And is it truly real that they all have different jobs that they have to do? First off, I always start that whenever I talk to somebody about this, I just, I, you know, I like, I just say this just to, you know, as a heads up, tight end is the hardest position to play in college football and any football for that regards. Obviously, you see corner, you see quarterback, they have all these, but a tight end has to have the responsibilities of an offensive lineman that block these elite pass rushers and these elite run stoppers, as well as going and splitting out and beating a corner and a safety and a nickel. Sometimes it's lucky they get a backer, but a lot of these backers now are fast. So I, I, I like to start off any conversations about it. it is so difficult to play this position. And, you know, I see it now. And the biggest I see with, with how this position is changing is how Georgia plays. with, And I love how Georgia plays with having Brock Bowers and, and then Desmond Washington. Because Desmond Washington, he's, that cl- he's just the classic big body, go in, just maul everybody. Just, just go run over, over everyone. And they got Brock Bowers, who's like a who's like a Travis Kelsey, who he's gonna beat anybody off the ball. He's but at the same time, they can flip flop. And that's the thing that makes them so special. And that that is what a true tight end is really about. Cause that's Washington. He you can split him out and he can he can run a go, he can run 
He can run a whip. He can run a corner. He can do whatever he wants. He can go hurdle somebody and get yards after the catch. But at the same time, you see Brock Bowers, you know, they put this in a bunch set and he goes and he seals off the end. So I think the biggest thing about the tight end position that's changing is that you just have to be able to do everything. And and you see it so much now with, with Kincaid, with, uh, with Meyer from Notre Dame. You see this with so many people. You just have to be able to do both. No matter what the situation, no matter what it is, fourth and one, you have to be ready for your inside zone call with three tight ends in the game, or you have to be ready for your fourth and one, your split out one-on-one go win a fade ball. So yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that you see now with college football and how people utilize it. And and a lot of times when people run these these 10 personnel, I I hate it so much. And that's not because I hate on the wideouts. I love getting different wideouts in the game. But why wouldn't you want a tight end on the field that can do just the same as a wide receiver can, but he's just a bigger body? Yeah, so I like you said, well, personnel is a big thing in football. I think it's honestly the most important thing in football is personnel, running plays, and how you do it. And I think you obviously see a lot in the NFL. You see that 13 personnel with three receivers and a tight end, or you even see some 22 personnel, two tight ends, but especially I think – when I first think of 13 personnel, I think a lot of the Los Angeles Rams, what they've been able to do with Sean McVay. But yep. it, it, it truly is different, especially when you throw two tight ends on the field. How do you notice that the game changes compared to what one tight end is on the field and two? I mean, right away, you you put the defense in a bad spot because right away you, the defense has to take their nickel off the field and they have to go they have to put their salmon. And that's the biggest thing that I see is when you have a nickel on the field, you know, you're fine because you can just keep all your backers in your in your D-line. You keep them all in the box, your nickel. You can flow him in and out, and then you're good because at the end of the day, your nickel's fast enough that he can get back to his spot and pass coverage as he wants to. But when you when you have to make them respect that you're going to run the ball, that's when you create the mismatches. That's when you see a lot of these teams, oh, they're in a trip set with two tight ends on the ball, and then they shift out, and they're, they're in spread now. And now you have to see a backer coming out to guard for example, Brock Bowers, you have to see one of these guys coming out to 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 try to guard a running back or or whatever it is. So it just creates mismatches, and that's the thing that that's so beautiful about the tight end position is, is there's so many mismatches that you can create without even trying to create. So, uh, so quick question on that: When you're sitting there as tight end, say you're split out wide, what? is the position and who do you want to see on the other side and who do you don't want to see? Do you want to see a linebacker over there? Would you rather have a nickel? Would you rather have a safety? What what kind of is your favorite kind of matchups you like to see? Uh, I mean, I love to see linebackers personally. I love to see linebackers because a lot of times when people look at a tight end, like for me, I'm not a barn burner type of guy. I'm not going to run by you on a fade for a touchdown, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to sit you down. I'm going to make you move your feet. And then I'm going to make you have to guard me. And I think with linebackers, especially linebackers, it's so easy to get them just to think that you're going one way and you go the other. And I love linebackers and I love having nickels line up against me. Those are the two. I, I, the one thing I do hate, I hate when safeties, because safeties now, especially you see them a lot more. They're bigger safeties that can run. They can do everything. They can, they can stop the run. They can guard a tight end whenever they want. So I, I, at the end of the day, you know, with the tight end position, it's so crucial that you have to think nobody can guard you. But yeah. at the same time, I think you have to work a little that much harder when you have that one of those bigger safeties on you 
than if you have like a Mike linebacker, if you have a nickel on you, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, whoever's like right now, whoever's across me, I have to respect whatever they do. Cause you know, at the end of the day, we're all playing divisional football. So yeah. whoever's across the line for me, I have to treat them the same as if it's a nickel, if it's a corner, if it's linebacker, no matter what, you know, I might tweak a little bit of my technique, but at the end of the day, I have to do the same thing that I'm going to do with the other position. That's, that's at the goal. end of the day, I got to, I just have to win. I just have to beat them to the spot, whatever my spot is, whatever my landmark is, I have to beat them there and I have to catch the ball and go get yards. Yeah, it is really interesting. And it, that's going to be, I think, a big part of the Super Bowl is how the Philadelphia Eagles decide to guard Travis Kelsey. We see all these defensive guys and you see a lot of guys bring safeties over. You see a lot of guys play nickel. I, I assume the Eagles will play nickel with how good uh, uh, Johnson Gardner is. Um, we'll, we'll see different moves. And I think you see that a lot in how you're building defenses. You, I think of an Isaiah Simmons from the Arizona Cardinals who might be a safety in 20 years ago, but now he's a linebacker. You see the Rams from Mark Barron turned him from a safety to a linebacker for these things. See some of the great guys like the Cam Chancellors. And, and, and what makes these safeties great is their ability to actually come in and guard tight ends because they are that matchup nightmare. And it's, it's interesting to see how these defenses have developed certain ways to play these guys. Another thing that I've seen a lot more this year than I've ever seen is the amount of times, especially against Travis Kelsey saw in the last couple of games, how many times they really say, I need to chip him. I saw Trey Hendrickson, mm-hmm. Sam Hubbard, the entire game in the Bengals Chiefs game. We have to chip Travis Kelsey off the line. Does that chip really impact your route and your timing? It really, it really does. Because, you know, I, you see it vice versa. A DN chips a tight end on a way out, uh, on his way out to a route. It disrupts his whole, his whole timing, his whole footwork that he takes to get out. Just as if a tight end chips a DN, it ruins his little get off that he gets to, to get into his footwork for whatever move he's trying to make. So it's little things like that that the Eagles are going to have to do to chip Travis Kelsey off the line to try to get him to slow his feet down or try to get him to expect the chip so he's having to avoid or just to do that little thing because that chip really does a lot. And, and you know, Travis Kelsey's one of those elite tight ends that, he you know, he probably has a couple moves, whatever that he can to avoid that chip to get through it, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, the chip is one thing that I think – people don't utilize enough. And I think that's one thing that pe- when people do utilize it and they and they teach it and the technique is there, it's one of those most useful things that you can have in football now. All right, so quickly, we mentioned Chiefs, Eagles. Who do you think wins the game and why? Eagles Eagles by two touchdowns. And, and that's not to knock down the Chiefs at all, but personally, I just see no way with how, how the Eagles are playing now I just don't see any way. And people say, oh, well, Jalen hurts his shoulder and, and all this. You get him two weeks to heal up. And and his shoulder isn't isn't like how Patrick has with this high ankle sprain. Two weeks, Patty's gonna be feeling good. What you know, he's gonna be feeling good. But as soon as he gets out in a cold, in that whatever, where wherever he is, he's gonna be out, he's gonna try to scramble the pocket. I think that's the difference between the shoulder and the ankle. Is the ankle. It could be one bad plant. It could be one bad step that he takes to re-aggravate it. Yeah. With the shoulder, you're really going to have to see somebody hit Jalen Hurts and land on that shoulder, I think, to re-aggravate that shoulder or seeing him putting his head down to run somebody over. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to how the Eagles are going to guard Travis Kelsey. Because yeah. to me, the Eagles, if if any of the Chiefs wideouts beat you in this game, you got to live with it. Yeah. 
I'm not so, letting so, Travis so on Kelsey top of be. that. So what, what do you think about the Chiefs injuries and how, how will that affect the offense knowing that you might not have three receivers who are probably three of your top four receivers in Hardman, Tony, and Juju Smith Schuster, or at least not gonna be hundred percent. Does that really affect the game plan? Or is it I just mean, it, do you I, think it'll just be plug and play guys and next man up? I mean, if I if I'm the Eagles, I'm I'm just loading the box, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm gonna keep obviously I'm gonna try to keep Two, one, one guy on Travis Kelsey, one over the top on Travis Kelsey. But at the end of the day, I'm not letting Pacheco. He's not he's not going crazy. But at the same time, I really want to test that ankle that Patrick Mahomes has. I really want to make him get uncomfortable. I want to get in his face. I want him. I want early in the first quarter, I want at least two to three quarterback hits. Because I want him feeling it. I want him to know. I want him by the second half in the fourth quarter to think, I don't know what's coming. I don't know if they're dropping back. I don't know if they're bringing pressure. My ankle's not feeling good. I have no wideouts right now. I, I don't know what to do. I got to look for Travis. And that's where you, I think you see where the mental mistakes come in. And that's the one thing that Patty doesn't do a lot is he does not make a lot of mistakes. And that's the one thing the Eagles need to make him do. They need to make him think that he's about to be a pocket passer all game with his ankle. And then they throw six, seven guys at him in a rush and they get him, they get a sack. And then the next play that it's third and long or third and short, whatever it is, he thinks pressure's coming. They drop back into a cover three, cover or quarters, whatever the case may be. They just have to mix it up so Patty never knows what's coming. And then by the end of the fourth quarter, he Patty's feeling that ankle a little bit. He's feeling a little fatigue. He's been hit a couple times. And that's when I think the Eagles really just got to take their shot. They just got to go a couple plays in a row to send some people at him. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. This, this is a big game, I think, in the trenches. And we'll see that Eagles D line has been really good. The Eagles O line might have been might be the best offense line in football. And we've seen Chris Jones, who I think right now is the best defensive lineman in football. So we'll see how he's moved around. It's gonna be a good game, though. I I do think that even if it's a 14-point game, it'll be a competitive 14 points. And with Pat Mahomes, yeah. you, you never know what can happen, honestly, with, with right. him and Andy. You give Andy Reid two weeks. It's gonna be a good game. But so I just want to thank you for coming on, Cade Conley. Wider or tight end at Central Michigan, not wide receiver, tight end. So we'll have you on more, of course. Great hearing kind of your mindset as being a player, as being in it more than any of us, kind of have a different angle on it. So it's great to have it. Have a good day. Have a good time as well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on. You're welcome to come back whenever. Oh, for sure. I will take that up as soon as I can. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl next on the Case Conley Podcast. Welcome back to the Case Conley Podcast. We're going to end this episode by talking some Super Bowl. I'll make my prediction and a couple little prop bets that I'd like. Eagles, Chiefs, the spread right now as this talks is minus one and a half. The Eagles are one and a half point favorites. I'm going to take the underdog. I'm going to take Patrick Mahomes. I think the Kansas City Chiefs have been here too many times. We'll find a way to win. Andy Reid on two weeks prep against his whole team. It's hard to bet against that. Matt Pat Mahomes, I think the ankle looked fairly well, especially for what, what happened. In the AFC Championship game, he looks very well. He can be an extra two weeks. I think he's going to be closer to 100%. I think a lot of these receivers are going to be okay to go. And even if you don't, they got some guys who can step up, like Sky Moore. 
still have Travis Kelsey. So I'm going to take the Kansas City money line. I like Kansas City to win this game outright. I think good bit along with that is Super Bowl MVP is going to be Pat Mahomes if they find a way to win. A couple of prop bets I like. Kenneth Gainwell, one of these Philly running backs right now, his prop is at 19 and a half rushing yards. Opened at 15 and a half. It's gotten moved up. I love Kenneth Gainwell in this game. They love to use him. I think that he's been used a lot more in the playoffs in the last three, four weeks. I also like his value at plus two, 370 on any time touchdown. He's gotten a couple of red zone carries in the last couple of weeks, too. I think Kenneth Gainwell is going to have a good day. Another guy I like for an anytime touchdown is Travis Kelsey. Just his guy, Patrick Mahomes' guy, when he gets there. It's who he likes to see. And I think they'll be looking for him again, even with some double teams and different things and whatnot. I think he's still going to be there. Another bet I like is Jarek McKinnon's under nine and a half rushing yard, uh, longest rushing attempt, excuse me. It's gone under nine and a half in 15 of the 19 games this year. 79% of them, only five of his 88 carries all year have gone 10 plus. So I think that his under nine and a half yards is a pretty good look to bet in the Super Bowl. Final spot I'm kind of looking at is along with the Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Goddard's over 46 and a half receiving yards at this point where it's at. I like Dallas Goddard. He's been involved with the offense a lot last week. Is where I clued in that touchdown. They just, Kansas City has been exposed by some tight ends. Evan Ingram found a way to get some yardage in, in both games this year. Hayden Hurst had a pretty big game and wasn't even used that much. So I think Goddard will be used and he'll be used a lot. It'll be interesting to see if Ladarius Sneed will play. Some of those injuries in the Kansas City secondary is going to be a factor. So I think those are a couple bets that you can really look at and what I think we could see, and it's it's going to be a great Super Bowl, though. I believe it's going to be close with 2,000-plus props you can bet on. There's as many angles as you could possibly find. I'm excited. We all love Super Bowl Sunday. And that is going to wrap up the end of this pod. When we come back next week, we'll be taking a look at who won the Super Bowl. Kind of some reasons why. We'll really deep down and analyze that. but. Another great episode. Thank Cade Conley, who was on earlier. And I will see you guys next week.